Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, covering police protests, this time in Rochester. So in March, Daniel Prude of Rochester died from asphyxiation after Rochester police tried to take him into custody and pin him to the ground while restraining him. It took five months for this to become public after the family shared police body cam video. That video prompted protests around the country, but especially in Rochester, and eventually uh, forced the resignation of the police chief and much of the police command. The local newspaper in Rochester is the Democrat and Chronicle and has been aggressively covering this since the protests began. I'm thrilled to be joined today by two of the people involved in that coverage. Sheila Ram is the community engagement editor at the newspaper, and Georgie Silverroll is a USA Today, what's called a backpack reporter for upstate New York. We'll get into what that means in a second. Sheila and Georgie, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Sheila, let me start with you, because you grew up in Rochester, right? Yes, that's correct. Born and raised. Born and raised. One of the things that's always struck me about the media response to police shootings and protests is outside journalists come in and they're like, wow, this happened in XYZ town, whether it's Minneapolis or Kenosha or wherever. Who would have thought that in a community like this, there would be such problems? And inevitably, we learn over time that this has been simmering for a long time, that there's been long-standing problems with the police departments, and that this was not unexpected whatsoever. Would you say the same thing about Rochester? Well, you know, I, I think our community, like many communities, uh, there are, are pockets uh, and areas where um, there are issues between uh, some communities and our local law enforcement. Uh, I will say that I personally, as a lifelong resident, um, was surprised uh, to learn about this incident, uh, mainly because it took five months for us to find out about it. Yeah. So I have to say the the big shock for me, and I think, you know, my friends is, you know, how could we not know about this, particularly in the time that we're living in right now? Yeah. How long have you been at the newspaper there, Sheila? I've been there for uh, over two decades, over two okay. decades. And what's been the, in general, what's been the relationship between the paper and the police department in terms of getting access to information, in terms of transparency? I mean, you talked about this five-month delay. Was that typical or, or had, had your impression been that the police department was more open than that with the press? We've had a, a, a fairly decent working relationship over the years. I mean, you know, we do have to foil for information. And, and, yeah. and we've had over the years, as I think about it, we've had some meetings here and there when we felt uh, that the uh, police department wasn't being responsive. But for the most part, we have strong uh, journalists, um, uh, including uh, our, our public safety uh, reporter, well, Cleveland and, and Victoria Fraley and then uh, Georgia Silverone who helps us out. And we have good connections. So for the most part, you know, every once in a while we've had to fight to get some information. I don't really think that's unusual. Yeah. Um, uh, but for the most part, 
uh, we we get the information that we need. Uh, again, I have to say it was it is shocking that this information just was was just not released. Yeah. In fact, the Democrat and Chronicle called for the police chief's resignation in the editorial. Right, right. I am the I'm also the the head of our editorial board, mm-hmm. and we we did we, we felt uh, very strongly that uh, after such a breach of trust. And frankly, um, we, we just didn't think um, that uh, Chief Singletary could recover from this. And um, we need our community to obviously trust our police force and our, and our chief. And this was such a, a breach of that trust. We just didn't think he could recover from it. Did you write the editorial? Uh, well, a team of us wrote it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's very powerful. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, the, one of, it's to quote from it. Just, just the points that you've been making. You say, no one in the Rochester Police Department, in Rochester City Hall, in the state attorney general's office, in the New York governor's mansion, saw fit to put out a news release that Daniel Prude had become brain dead after three Rochester cops pinned him to the ground. Yeah, it's, it's, it's powerful, powerful stuff. I, I mentioned this notion of what happened when the sort of national press descends on a local story like this. What was your impression of what people got right or what people got wrong, Sheila? Well, I, I have to tell you, it, it, it has been such a whirl, whirlwind of, of stuff. I've only uh, looked a little bit at some of the national coverage. And I'm, I'm going to be honest, I'm always hesitant to um, criticize other media outlets. I, I think for me... Um, I, I think my big thing was I was hopeful that whatever I saw in, in national media, that they truly reflected this community in the proper way, uh-huh. that the, the, the headlines were appropriate, that they were hopefully talking to people who really were on the ground. You know, this is our community here. We, we know the players and our newsroom has conversations every day about um, you know, how to cover uh, social uh, unrest and how to write headlines that are culturally uh, competent and, and sensitive. So I think my big worry was I hope that national media doesn't come in and 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 not cover um, this community in the way in which it deserves. Um, for the most part, some of the national coverage I saw seemed to hit the mark. Even though I, I think, of course, and I'm not bragging that, you know, we led the way uh, on that coverage. It's okay to brag. <laughs> um, Georgie, talk to me about your role. First off, what is a backpack reporter? <laughs> okay, so um, before I kind of backpack reporter role, I worked for the Democrat and Chronicle as um, basically I covered suburbs. So I was covering town board meetings and planning board meetings and stuff like that. And then um, Gannett sort of formed what we call the New York state team. So our parent company owns several newspapers across the state. And last summer they put together a team of people um, to basically produce regional coverage and write stories that go uh, to all of those sites and often to USA Today itself and beyond. So my role is kind of like I shoot photo and video as well as uh, write and report. So I kind of just fill my car and my backpack with my gear and I get sent all over the place. And mm. uh, that's sort of what the title means. So you sort of are dispatched to wherever in the region the, the, the chain needs you. 
Yeah, and sometimes it's for breaking news. Other times it's for enterprise stuff, feature stories. In situations like this, I'll I'll switch gears. And if there's something big and breaking, that's generally what I'm directed toward. And are you based in Rochester? Yeah, so I live I live in Rochester. Yeah. Okay. So tell me how I mean I I, I read your uh, a lot of your, the sort of on the minute stuff you did for for Twitter, which was it is a kind of amazing just sort of minute by minute account of the protests. How did it work with the Democrat and Chronicle? Would you would they just take stuff off your Twitter feed, or would you file file memos to them, or how did you work with them? to get this stuff in the newspaper. Yeah, so it's nice because, like I said, I had previously worked with the newsroom for a year, and prior to that, I was an intern, and I also grew up in Rochester, so I've, I've been connected with them for a while. So as soon as my editor, who lives and works in Albany, said, okay, you can help the Rochester folks with this, I just sent messages to my former editors at the paper, and I was like, what do you want me to do? Like, tell me where to go. And... Um, so we already have lines of communication that are open. And so where I think I can be most helpful is on the ground. Yeah. And what I'll do is go and I just kind of tell them like, hey, I'm going to tweet out what I see. I'll start a thread. I'll talk to people. I'll post videos if I can upload them. And then we'll have people like Sheila or uh, different producers and editors who are at home right now because we're, we're working from home. Yeah. But um, they'll kind of just refresh and watch and then they will download the assets off of Twitter and re-upload them to our um, like to our CMS, our content management system. And then they'll create a story file for our website and sort of just be updating it with new pictures. They'll upload videos that like I or the photographers will tweet out. And it sort of just gets updated throughout the night. And then we all sort of just try to keep in touch as much as we can if things are kind of going awry. And that's kind of worked really well for us, I think. How many protests have you covered had you covered before? the Rochester one? I was trying to think about that. Um, before I worked in Rochester, I, I covered higher education. I lived in South Carolina for about a year and a half. And I remember some like protests, marches, stuff like that, that happened down there. And like, I had covered other protests, but nothing of this caliber, like uh-huh. nothing, which there was like an actual like line of division. Like you've, you've seen photos of this barrier between the protesters and the police and stuff. And yeah. I've never seen that. Did you get any kind of um, personal safety training? I mean, it's always something that we kind of talk about in passing, which is just be safe. Like yeah. keep your head on a swivel, like watch your surroundings. Don't get boxed in. Like if you can get to higher ground, you know, it's sort of just general stuff that you do as a photographer anyway, like you want to be kind of yeah. at a better vantage point and naturally that puts you in a more safe spot most of the time. Yeah. So my first night covering these protests was Friday. And then on Saturday afternoon, before I went out again, I went to Walmart and bought a bike helmet and I grabbed <laughs> goggles that were in my garage. And, you know, I mean, I was a little bit more prepared and that was a conversation we had had as a, as a staff a little bit about, okay, All like right. let's, be silly here right did you ever feel um unsafe yes and no like it's obviously not a situation really wants to be in I think but at the same Mm. time I know that it's important for me to be there to be focused to be concentrating on like what's going on how can I 
document this? How can I best tell a story? And how do I also like keep myself safe so that I can continue to do that throughout the night? Mm-hmm. Um, I can say I've never been in a situation like that before. And um, like on Friday night, which was my first night doing it, like I was caught off guard. Basically, I didn't expect things to escalate. So, but, but that really helped me for Saturday where I was way more prepared. I knew what to expect. I didn't let myself get boxed into the crowd. Like I just tried really hard to take what I learned the night before and switch up my tactics so that I could stay longer and do better work. Yeah. You know, it's amazing to hear that you hadn't done this before because reading your feed, you do seem, it seems very savvy and very, um, I mean, I think it was impressive. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, one of the things that we've known that I've I've been interested in as a lot of this coverage is on social media is the is disinformation, some intentional and some just because of the you know the the chaos. You know, people posting that there is going to be this demonstration here when there's not. Did you see much of that in Rochester? Did you see much of that either intentional or unintentional disinformation about either about what the police were doing or about what the protesters were doing? Yeah. So like a really good example of that is Friday night, the group um, marched down East Avenue and then turned down Alexander and Park Avenue. And so these are areas in our city where um, there's a lot of like restaurants and nightlife and kind of like a lot of rental homes for college students and young adults and whatever. And so these are like, sort of like, I guess I would say like trendy restaurants or whatever. And so on Friday night, there was, there was one part of the the group where some of the people marching took tables and flipped them over, pushed glasses off of them. And there's this video that somebody got and tweeted and said that, you know, there's this is happening here. And I wasn't there. I was at the front of the group. So I heard the glass breaking, but I didn't see it happen. And so a couple things happened after that. Um, Another reporter uh, for a different publication had tweeted out a video of sort of people who were dining outside, getting up and kind of like quickly running, walking away from the group who was yelling at them. Like the whole point of the march was to like disrupt people's like nights and get them to pay attention to what was going on. Mm hmm. And it kind of like, um, like that video kind of got picked up by different like Twitter accounts and sort of spun out of control. And then of course you can take a video and put new text over it. And like all of a sudden the story's different. Yeah. And protesters are being violent and smashing tables and destroying restaurants in Rochester. And like, it kind of wasn't really like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the protesters did a really good job of self-policing too. There's yeah. That goes on where like somebody will kind of take it too far and others will quickly come and say, that's not what we're here for. Yeah. Um, And that doesn't get shared in these like viral tweets where the story gets changed a little bit. Yeah. Um, So kind of that's, that's what else you go on. I try really hard. Like when I'm posting stuff on Twitter, I try really hard to be transparent and to be clear that like, if I didn't see it or hear it, like, I'm not tweeting about it. So I didn't see this happen. And people kind of came at me and told me I was a bad journalist for not tweeting it or whatever. And it's like, I can't be everywhere at once, you know, and I think people expect you to be when you're out Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. One other thing that I was intrigued by you, you tweeted at one point, the fact that some of the, the, the protesters or or people who were helping to organize were asking uh, folks not to 
uh, capture the faces of people in the crowd. Um, talk to me a little bit about that and how did you handle that? Right. So that's something that kind of has bothered me because um, like there, a lot of people are worried about being identified for being there. But then at the same time, like it's a public space, like at no point in time am I on private property. So like yeah. you're protected as a journalist and, and as just a, an American citizen by the first amendment to like be out there and be taking photos and whatever. So like, I don't really worry about that. Um, what I kind of do is I'll like, if I have downtime, like let's say um, sort of before they start marching, like the group will kind of hang out in one spot and wait for people to gather and there'll be music and whatever. And I'll shoot like more, um, more of like portraits. Like I'll look for moments that people are having. And so the other night, um, there was this young couple that was kind of like dancing and I was shooting their, their photos and I was across the street. So they didn't see me. And I was trying to get this like candid moment. And one woman came over to me and asked me what the F was wrong with me, why I was taking their picture, whatever. And she like totally yelled at me for it. And I was like, okay, whatever. And I kind of blew it off. And then what I'll always do is go over to the, the people that I, I photograph afterward. And if it's not a big group shot where it's impossible to get everybody's names, like if I'm shooting um, individual people, I'll walk over to them after I've gotten this candid moment that I wanted. And I'll say, hey, you know, I work for the newspaper. Do you mind if I get your name? I got a great photo of you guys. And I've never had someone no. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of this weird, like, contrast that I felt where, like, organizers will say, don't take pictures of people. But mm-hmm. then every time I take somebody's picture, they're like, yeah, like, totally you could get my name for this. Where is it going right. to be? Where can I get this photo? Like, you know, and I'll quote them and I'll tweet. I'll add it to my tweets and basically try to, like, you know, pull in a quote from them about why they're there or how they feel or, you know, whatever, try to add some humanity to all of that. Hmm. Sheila, how do you, how did you think the whole process worked from your perspective, being on the receiving end of these tweets and files from people like Georgie did, was it a good combo of people on the street and people you know, writing up in the newsroom? Yeah, I, I think we, we, we have a good, um, plan of action you know as georgie mentioned there's you know there's lots of discussion um was it i think it was two nights ago when georgie and i worked together you know i have up on my my screen um uh, our social news desk and i'm uh, i was following the uh, twitter feeds of our staff photographer and, and journalist on the ground on my phone i had my personal facebook page open and i uh, was watching the live feed uh, of some folks that I follow. And if I saw something on the live feed that I thought, hey, you know, Georgie, are you near this? And is this happening? I would possibly send a text uh, yeah. to Georgie uh, and the staff photographer who was on that night, Jamie Germano. And then they, if they could, they would look into it. Um, there was a... Uh, producer, uh, a digital producer on, and he and I uh, would talk. He would continually update. He continually updated the story. I read behind him. Uh, we talked yeah. about headlines. If something looked a little, you know, if I was like, oh, maybe we want to tweak this. Or if there was a, <laughs> if there was a tweet in there that we actually probably needed to take out, we would. So it, it works. It works really well. Um, it's really a, a great all hands on deck situation. Yeah. 
So, Fila, just more broadly, I'm just curious whether what your thoughts are about how how Rochester has changed or, I mean, you know, we talked about the police chief. I mean, the police chief and the whole basically command of the police force stepped down. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure your editorial is no small influence on all of that. Um, do you, I mean, you know, the... There, there was this. There was the reaction to the release of these videos, but then you know, as in all these cases, you know, this is, it's a sort of like reckoning with the sort of systemic injustice of all of this. What do you? How is the community navigating this? Do you think? In general, I think the community has been shocked, and I really think that in general, people think you know we need to make sure that something like this doesn't happen again. And, and how do we push for that, right? And then I think um, uh, in communities of color, particularly, you know, especially the black community of which I'm a part, um, there is a uh, pain um, at seeing that video and, 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 and then knowing that for five months, no one said anything and you know, the, the, the truth of the matter is the chief of police in our city was a, 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 a black man uh, who, who was raised here. And the mayor of our city is a black woman who was raised here. So I think, um, you know, as a member of the black community, I know for me and, and my friends and family, um, just sort of the, the, the hurt um, and disappointment at what happened. Um, ha- has been um, a struggle uh, to to process, but I do believe that uh, I've never seen this the city so uh, ready to stand up and fight for what's right. And uh, I think um, people are out there every night because they they want to make sure that this sort of thing doesn't happen again. So I think. I think we, uh, as a community, are ready for some real change. The question will be, you know, will that change happen? And what is the role of a newspaper in the fight and in the healing process? Hmm. Well, you know, there are different schools of thought on that, right? As a newsroom, and and, and this is why I'm I'm proud of, my colleagues in our shop, you know, for the past year, we've been talking about, and this is sort of an aside, um, being diversity and inclusion and making sure that our news, our coverage truly reflects, excuse me, the community that we serve. So we've been doing the work and trying to get to know people who have been underserved um, uh, by us. So with that work, we are now going into covering this uh, social unrest. And our role, obviously, yes, it is to accurately uh, inform and, and share with the broader community what's happening. Um, but also, I believe, as an editorial board, um, which, of course, you know, is separate from the newsroom, but as an editorial board, uh, it, it is our job to push the com- community conversation forward uh, and maybe even suggest some solutions. Um, so I also think our, our newsroom um, does want to uh, help the community 
find ways uh, that it wants to change, you know, so solutions journalism, we call it. It is part of our job is to look for solutions. And we believe that as a newsroom as well. So part of our job is to help our community find solutions. And and we will and, and are going to do that, too, as we do more in-depth reporting on um, the unrest that's happening right now. Sheila and Georgie, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having us. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was thank great you. To talk to both of you. You can read our coverage of these of the protests and all all of the issues that we've been talking about on CJR.org and our daily email newsletter, the media today, and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.